Woo! How are we doing? How are we feeling? I hear tired. I hear good. How was, how was your cabin discussion last night? Some good, good conversation. Hey, what we're going to do tonight, I'm, I'm going to hop right into it. And uh, let's, let's do a little mental exercise together again because uh, yesterday I gave you a scenario that I wanted you to imagine with me. And I said, hey, imagine that you're in a courtroom, right? Remember this? And there's a man who was caught with blood on his hands and the murder weapon on his car. And the judge says, you're guilty. And we're like, yes, of course. Justice has to happen. Well, I'm going to finish that story for you tonight. Because what happens after the judge declares someone guilty, then the sentence is given. Which means that you are guilty, now I'm going to decide what the course of action is going to be, what the wages or what the consequences for your crime will be. So again, all eyes are on the judge. And he says, for the crime of first degree murder, your sentence is the death penalty. And what that means is that this murderer is now going to be put to death. And there's a gasp in the room because this is heavy. This means that this convicted criminal is going to die. But here's what happens next, and it blows everyone away. The judge stands up, and he walks down, and he says, I'm going to die in your place. Somebody has to die, and I'm going to die in your place. And you're like, what? Judge, he's a convicted murderer. Why would you do this? But somebody has to die, and the judge dies in his place when the judge did nothing wrong here. And guys, again, I'm making up this story to show you this is the gospel. But that's not even the gospel in all of its entirety. Jesus came down to this earth knowing that we are sinners who deserve to die. And he said, I know, I'm going to die for you. And that is the good news that we're going to talk about tonight. Again, I, I spent 40 minutes just sitting on the bad news last night so that you could comprehend the good news. And this is the gospel. This is that through Jesus, we can be made right with God. This is, I told you night one, the most important conversation or the most important topic that we can have on planet Earth. So what we're going to do, actually, let's do this. Hey, what were my main points last night? I, I want you to remember, as we think of the main points, uh, remember the conversation. What was main point number one? We're all sinners. Yeah, do you remember what verse that came from? Romans 3.23. And then, yeah, that was point number two. The wages of sin is death. What verse was that from? Romans 6.23, but just the first part, right? And then... Just how beautiful that we got to bring the second part of that verse in last night. So I, I want you to remember the heaviness of last night, that we're all sinners, every one of us, and the wages for sin is death. But then Romans 6.23 says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't know the good news until you know the bad news. So don't forget the bad news as I'm sharing this with you, but just like last night, we just looked at the sins of Nebuchadnezzar and we just asked the Lord that he would put a mirror up in front of us and we would see the sins in our life as we examine the sins of this wicked king. Well, guys, in the story of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar actually ends on a positive note. So that's 
all that we're going to study, just four verses tonight from Daniel. And now I'm praying that as the Lord has exposed our sins as we look at this wicked king, now I'm praying that when we look at Nebuchadnezzar's repentance and restoration, that we can see the beauty of the gospel. That we can see that just like Nebuchadnezzar was restored, at least on earth, that we can be restored with God. Adam and Eve were created to be in right relationship with God. And that now can be restored. Can, can, we can go back to how it was supposed to be through Jesus. Okay, so everyone hold up your Bibles with me. I need you to remind me, friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a gift it is that we get to hear from God himself. Okay, Daniel chapter 4. All we're going to do is end chapter 4 tonight. We're going to read verses 34 to 37. And uh, just a reminder of what happens here before these verses is Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of the tree. And a messenger comes and says, the tree is going to be chopped down. And, and if you remember, Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, the tree is you. If you don't repent, if you don't turn from, from where you're going, if you don't make a complete 180, then punishment is coming. And then Nebuchadnezzar walks out on the, on the balcony of his kingdom and says, is this not great Babylon, which I have built for my majesty? And then immediately God punishes him, and he becomes this just grossed beast with hair as long as eagle's feathers and, and nails as long as bird's claws. And we're just like, yuck, because we see him and, and where his sin and where his pride led him to. But look at how this chapter ends. It's so beautiful. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. And my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endure, endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? In verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me. For all the glory and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. But now look at how this wicked, selfish, prideful king responds now. In verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to. To humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, to God. Thanks be to God. So what we see here is Nebuchadnezzar finally and truly repents. Because we, we don't hear about Nebuchadnezzar the rest of the book of Daniel. All that we know in the last text that we have of Nebuchadnezzar is he's given praise and glory to God. This same king that just is beating his chest saying, look at me and how great I am. Now he repents and he gives glory and praise to God. And what happens in these four verses? After seven periods of time, Nebuchadnezzar just is literally like an ox eating grass from the ground. And it says his mind is like a beast. But then after however long this period of time is, Nebuchadnezzar is finally brought to himself and is, is humble. Because God has just turned him into this gross beast because of his pride. And now he just can't not but say, God, you're great. God, you're mighty. I'm nothing compared to you. So he repents. 
and he's restored. What, what I mean by that is in verse 36, it says that my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. If you remember the trashers, I think they were standing right here when the Nez is in the cage, and the trashers are just like, what a shame it is that the Nez is this, this beast now. And you can just get a sense that they're, they're ashamed that this was once their king. And there had to be gossip going on all throughout Babylon of, did you hear what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Did you hear that he's, he's literally turned into an animal? But somehow God gives favor to Nebuchadnezzar. And in Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar gets to sit on the throne again. And here again, I want to teach us how to be good students of the word. What I'm not going to do tonight is tell you that one day we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I hope that we do. But the Bible doesn't say that. All, all that we see is that God restores him, restores him in the physical life. And maybe we will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I hope so. I, I hope that he had this true faith and was, was reconciled to God. But wouldn't it be foolish of us to say that if we follow the example of Nebuchadnezzar and if we repent, then we finally get the Lamborghini that we've always wanted? Or if we say, if we repent like Nebuchadnezzar did, he got the kingdom, we finally get the dream house that we've always wanted. Because again, that would just be a sloppy way to approach God's word. Because that's how God, in his mercy, chose to interact with Nebuchadnezzar here. God punished him, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, and then God restored him in his humility. But here's, here's what really matters. And here's what I want to challenge us to. Because Nebuchadnezzar, his kingdom was restored. And it just reminds me of the, the American dream, really. And how uh, in, in my season of life right now, uh, you start setting up your retirement accounts and you start thinking of how can I invest this money, this place, and, and how can I just put so much time and energy in, into my retirement being comfortable. And that's what our culture says success is. If you can just work your tail off and then your last 10 years on earth, you're comfortable and you're good and, and you don't have any worries. But how tragic would it be if we spent all of our time and energy focused on the last 10 years of earth and we neglect the next 10 million years that are coming up in eternity? Beyond that, the next 10 trillion. Just look at the slide that we have here. 10 compared to 10 million and here's what I want us to do. I want us to take our focus away from, from this physical, temporal earth. I want you to understand that we are all eternal beings, that these physical bodies will pass away. But we're spiritual beings, and, and we're either going to be God's children with him forever or God's enemies separated from him for all of eternity. So what really matters for Nebuchadnezzar is, Nebuchadnezzar, were you really right with God? Or were you a hypocrite once again where you made this awesome declaration and then we don't know what happens the rest of his life. But that's all that we need to be asking is, was Nebuchadnezzar made right with God? And here's what we're going to do. With all that context, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans. And Romans is a book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Right after the book of Acts. Go ahead and open to Romans chapter 1. And the reason that I want us to turn here is because Romans, which was ultimately, like we talked about this morning, authored from God himself through the Apostle Paul. And Paul, he hadn't met these believers that he's writing to here. 
And he's heard that they're followers of Jesus and that there's a church that's being established in Rome. So what Paul spends a majority of the early chapters doing is just walking out the gospel. Because Paul wants to make sure that they understand that through Jesus Christ, they can be made right with God. So what I'm going to do is just remind us of some of the foundation that I've laid here uh, so that we can get to this night. Because in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, I'm going to read it here. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So I started message one by saying, look, guys, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember when we talked about the sun and how hot the core is and how big it is? And God just says, you go there. That there's a God, and and it says that all of us are without excuse. We're not going to stand before God someday and and say, God, there was no evidence. How could I have known? The evidence is all around us. We can't deny the fact that there is a God, and he is sovereign. Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Another core verse, and this is what we talked about last night. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is without excuse. Remember that verse from James that says, if you've even committed one sin, then you've broken the whole law. All of us are sinners. And then Romans chapter six, you can flip there. Romans chapter six, verse 23. We just camped out in the first half of this verse last night, that the wages of sin is death. So all of us are sinners. All of us deserve to die. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's where we've come so far in our time together. And now, let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. And this is what we're just going to sit on for a little bit. Here's what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does that mean? I think a lot of us have been told and have heard the message so many times that Jesus loves you. And there's good intention with that, but we don't, we don't explain what that means when, when we say that. And we don't, we don't explain how we know for a fact that Jesus loves you. And here's what we mean when we say that. That Jesus knows that you are a sinner who's an enemy with God. But the way that we know that he loves us is he sees us in our helpless state and he comes down and says, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die the death that you deserve. Jesus doesn't just say, I love you. Jesus shows us that he loves us. And that is true love. And I I don't want to just say that Jesus died for you and then not elaborate on that. So that's my next goal here. And again, lots of God's word that's going to be shared tonight. Let's turn to John chapter 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book of the New Testament. I promise we'll get back to Romans. But from Romans chapter 5 verse 8 And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? Well, the Bible shows us. And it's so cool that at the start of the New Testament, we have four books from four different perspectives of the life and ministry of Jesus. God thought that this was so important that he gives us four perspectives of who Jesus was and what he did. And the context of of chapter 19 is in verse 18, Jesus is betrayed by one of his followers, by Judas. 
And then Jesus, Jesus is brought to uh, the religious rulers at the time. And the religious rulers can't stand Jesus because Jesus in his ministry has made bold claims like that he can forgive sins or that him and God are equal. And, and the religious leaders, they just see crowds following Jesus and they can't stand that. They're jealous so much to the point that they want Jesus to die. And so the religious leaders at the time, they then bring Jesus to the Roman governor. If you've heard the name Pilate before. And they say, hey, according to our law, we can't kill Jesus, but he needs to die. And then Pilate, he, he looks at Jesus and he says, I don't find any guilt in this man. I don't see why you guys are trying to kill him here. And, and still, the crowd and the religious leaders say, crucify him, kill Jesus. We don't care what you think. Just get rid of him. So let's read chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Then Pilate, the Roman governor, took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And then now let's skip ahead to verse 16 after some more dialogue. So he, Pilate, delivered him, Jesus, over to be crucified. So let's be good students of God's word and just ask questions. Like what does verse 1 mean when it says that Jesus was flogged? Because sometimes there's such a short sentence there, but so much happens in, in the context of that, that short sentence. And at the time that Jesus was on earth, Rome was now the, the mighty empire. And Rome, they were actually master torturers. And when it says that Jesus is flogged, and again, Jesus came to take the punishment that we deserve. So when it says that Jesus is flogged, that means that they took a whip and it had nine extensions to it. And there were pieces of glass and pieces of stone on this whip. And they would not just whip him to, to get a lash on his back, but the stone and the glass would rip into his flesh and open up wounds. And Jesus is just bleeding. And it says he's flogged in another gospel 39 times. And Rome, they are the master torturers. And the reason that it's 39 times instead of 40 is because they've learned at this point that if you flog someone 40 times, that's when they usually start dying. So Pilate's like, I find no guilt in him, but these people hate him, and, and I just want to appease the crowd. So Jesus is tortured, and there he is just bleeding, almost to the point of death here. And then he's not just physically tortured, he's, he's emotionally humiliated. The guards make a fake crown. They say, this guy is saying that he's king. Let's make a crown for him. It's, it's a crown of thorns, and they just shove it on his head, and he's got gashes in his skin, and he, now he's bleeding from his forehead, and they put this robe just to mock him, and they say, hail Jesus, king of the Jews. Let me remind you who this is. Remember when we said that Jesus is fully God, fully man? He had no sin in him. This is the Jesus who's being tortured right here. And then Pilate brings him out and is bloody, tortured, just 
honestly gross and disgusting state and says, look, I tortured him. He's good. And then they, they take it a step further and they say, crucify him. What does that mean? Well, you, well you've heard of the cross before. And the cross was saved for the most severe criminals that Rome had to offer because it was the most painful way to kill a person that they had to offer. So Jesus has just been tortured. His stomach is probably ripped open from the flogging. And now he has to carry this heavy cross all the way up a hill. And let's start reading in, chapter, in verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross to the, place, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. So Jesus is tortured, spat on, punched humiliated, and he has to carry this cross all the way up a hill. And when he gets to the top, they lay the cross down, and then they lay Jesus on it. And you may have heard that his hands were pierced before, but what really happened is they take a massive nail, and they find the, the place in between the bones, the radius and the ulna. Your arm has two bones here, and there's a place where if you put a nail there, and then you bear all the weight on it, you're just going to hang there, because there's a nail in between his bones. So they drive the nail straight through his skin. They find the place in between the bones, and it goes through nerves. And it's just agonizing pain. And then his hand's just there limp. And then they, they nail the other hand. And then they put one foot over the other, and they, they drive a nail straight through his feet. And then they put the cross up vertical, and there's Jesus, God Almighty, who became a man who loves us, just hanging there on a cross, tortured, dying. Why? because of what we've done, because of me. Because he knows, Tyler, this is what you deserve. But I love you so much, I'm going to do it for you. And there he is just hanging there. And then Jesus dies. He's not just as good as dead. Jesus dies there on the cross. But in Mark chapter 15, another account, there, it says at one point when Jesus is hanging there on the cross, and the way to breathe, because his lungs are just being... Uh, what's the word there, uh, expanded, the way that he can breathe is he has to lift up on the nail to even get a breath. And at one point, Jesus says, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus doesn't refer to the Father as Father because God forsook Jesus, which means that God abandoned Jesus. And if Jesus is taking the punishment that we deserve, this means that we deserve death and that we deserve to be abandoned by God if we really take a mirror and look at how wicked our sin is. So Jesus, who has existed from time past in perfect unity with God the Father, is abandoned by God the Father because that's what we deserve. But then the last words recorded of Jesus before he dies on the cross, he says, it is finished. Another way to translate that is paid in full, which means the, the death that Tyler deserves has been paid in full, and he breathes his last, and he dies. He's not just as good as dead, friends. Jesus is dead there on the cross. It says that they took a spear, and they stabbed his side, and water and blood gush out of it, and there's no heartbeat. There's no breath in his lungs. Jesus is dead, and they take him to the grave, and they, they put him in the tomb, and there's Jesus, God Almighty, 
breathless, without a heartbeat, dead. And he's dead for three days. I told you about the hymn two nights ago. It is well with my soul. I'm going to share with you my favorite verse there tonight because it talks about what happened on the cross and what Jesus did for us. Horatio Spafford, as he's just sitting over the grave of his four daughters, he's imagining the beauty of what happened on the cross. And he says, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well, it is well with my soul. What does that mean? Jackson, if you go to the next slide, here's what Horatio Spafford is saying here. He's saying, my sin, oh man, this is an amazing thought. Horatio can't contain his excitement over the grave of his daughter's. My sin, oh, how amazing this thought is. Not just some of my sin, but all of my sin is nailed to the cross. Jesus took it on the cross, and I bear it no more. It's no longer mine to carry. Praise Jesus. Everything that I am, praise Jesus, because my soul is well, and I've been made right with God. What a gift of grace is Jesus our Redeemer. That's what our song said tonight. So... Jesus died the death that we deserve, was tortured, was forsaken by God. But that's not the end of the story. Because his dead body is there in the tomb for three days. No heartbeat, no breath in his lungs. And Mary Magdalene and some of her friends, she goes to tend to Jesus' dead body. And when she gets to the tomb, Jesus' dead body isn't there. And what happened there is that Jesus resurrected. That means he was dead and then he came to life. And here's what's beautiful, friends. There's a lot of other religious leaders or, or powerful people or philosophers that have died and made an impact on the world. But Jesus wasn't just some philosopher who died. He wasn't just some powerful leader who, who made a following and then died. He wasn't just someone who said, I know God personally and I can forgive sins and then died. Jesus said all of this and then he died, and then he conquered death, which validated everything that he ever said and did. That's the beauty of the resurrection. And if his resurrection validated everything that he ever said and did, that includes John 14, 6, where Jesus says that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to be made right with God is only through Jesus. It's not through Islam. It's not through whatever your secular, secular perspective will give you. It's not through knowing your Bible verses. It's not by continually coming to youth group. It's not by pretending that you're someone who's great when you're really not. The only way to be made right with God, to be with the Father, is through the person and work of Jesus. So now here we are, 2,000 years later. And we're still talking about Jesus. And still the most important question that we can be asking is who is Jesus to me? And what I, what I want you to do next, I want you to just imagine that you're the only person in this room. I don't want you to think of your neighbor. And I, I just want you to hear God's word read because now we're going back to Romans. 
Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. You can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. Because we see Romans 5, 8, and this is love that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And I just told you what that means. And then now, okay, how can I respond to this? Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no question mark at the end of that. It's so crystal clear that if you believe that Jesus rose from the grave, you will be saved. If Jesus is your Lord, what does that mean? To be someone's Lord means to be their master. If Jesus is your Lord, if you, again, we talked about idols the other night, and that's when something or someone comes before God. If you just rid all of that and you say, Jesus, all I care about is you, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care how many followers I have on Instagram. This video game's fun, but it doesn't matter in light of who you are and your majesty. If Jesus is your Lord and if you believe in him, you will be saved. And I've kept you waiting for my main point tonight because here it is. And I want you to write it down if you've got your journal. That we are saved by grace through faith. And where this comes from is not Tyler's opinion again, but Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Our firstborn daughter's name is Grace. Because we just love this concept of grace that we see in scripture. And for God to be gracious for us means that God gives us something that we don't deserve. We don't deserve to be made right with God, but God is gracious and he's made a way for us in our helpless state. And the only way to to find the graciousness of God is to have faith in the Son. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So what what if we, just like we see in the last section of, of reading about Nebuchadnezzar, what if we too, maybe we've been going this way our whole life, Maybe other people would be surprised with how much we've been faking it. And then maybe we just repent and we say, I'm so done trying to earn it, trying to do it on my own. And I'm just all in for you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus, so desperately. Guys, the gospel isn't just for junior high students. I need Jesus just as bad as you do. Your youth pastors need Jesus just as bad as you do. This is for your counselors. This is for me. We so desperately need Jesus. So here we are 2,000 years later. Who is Jesus to us? And before I, I go on to the next point, I just want to take 10 seconds of silence again. You can close your eyes or you can keep them open, but I want you to ask yourself, do I really believe this? So here's what we're going to do next. In a couple minutes, I'm going to give you an an opportunity, if you've never followed Jesus as Lord before, to stand. Not right now, in a couple minutes, because I want you to chew on it for a little bit. And sometimes preachers will come up here and and ask everyone to close their eyes or to bow their heads, but I'm I'm not going to do that. Because I have a conviction that when we put our faith in Jesus, when he's our Lord, the faith and the family that we're welcomed into is a beautiful community. But I want to be so careful here. 
Because I know, I remember that picture from night one when, when I, 15 years ago, was a student just like you. And there's a temptation to want to stand because you know people are going to clap. Or you know that's, this is what the, the preacher wants me to do. Or this is what my youth pastor wants, wants me to do. Friends, if that's, if that's a temptation for you, then I'd rather you just sit down and not stand. Because when, when I look at God's word, I see that we're not saved in a moment that we pray a prayer or in a moment that we stand, but we're saved just by the faith that comes from, from the preaching of God's word. God doesn't just save you, zap, right when you stand. That's not what salvation is. Maybe God has saved you for the first time at some point this week. Or maybe for tonight, you're finally like, okay, I repent, I surrender. I don't have it all figured out yet, but Jesus, I'm all in for you. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 has been such an impactful verse for me. Because it shows us what a follower of Jesus has to say. Jesus was crucified on the cross and Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. The life, I now live in, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's the anthem of every follower of Jesus. That I've been crucified with Christ, that uh, my reputation is dead to me. What the world has to offer is dead to me. What, what they think of me is dead to me. All of it is dead to me in light of who Jesus is to me. I'm dying to the world. I'm dying to everything else because I want the life that's in Jesus. That is what having faith in Jesus is. So here's where I'm going to ask. And if you've made this decision or declaration before, then this time isn't for you. But if before this week, Jesus wasn't your Lord, and if before tonight, Jesus was not your Lord, then I'm going to ask you to stand in three Two, one. And guess what? And I want you to keep standing. If some of you remained sitting, but you're really like, I, th I think I'm in for this, but I just have some questions. That's okay that you didn't stand. Again, it's not standing that saves you, but thank you for the boldness of those who did stand. And here's where I want to talk to you directly, because the Bible says that if this really happened in your life, if you've really been made right with God, then those who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed away. The new life has come. And that doesn't mean that this life is going to be easy for you. But this means that no matter what happens, just like Horatio Spafford's anthem, you can say, my soul is right. Because I'm right with the creator of heavens and the earth. And I'm not living for the last 10 years of earth. I'm living for the 10 million, billion, trillion. It can go on and on. So friends, thank you for your boldness. And if I can just join the angels and, and join God the Father, Romans 8 says that you are now adopted into God's family if you really have faith in Jesus as your Lord. So I just want to say, welcome to the family. And tomorrow, we're going to talk about what happened next, what happened after Jesus rose from the grave. But right now, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for those who put their faith in him. Jesus didn't just 
didn't just do something one time for you. He is still constantly interceding for you. I still have sin in my life that I struggle with, but Jesus looks to the Father and says, he's mine. I covered that for him. And if you're now God's child, he's doing that for you too. So now let's just respond and worship and praise to our God.